ago, so I was only 13 years into the industry. I was still knew how to design some decent backyards, but I'm looking at this. I'm like, what is even the benefit? Landscape architecture is a five-year degree, so you know you're having to go an extra year on top of the normal four-year you know degree, and so. <laughs> what's up guys welcome to another episode of the yardist i'm matt heiner and i'm accompanied by sam barkley um today we are going to talk about how you get into this industry how you become a yardist and what is a yardist first and foremost sam so you know a yardist in our own terms since i guess we coined it is um you know it's creating artistry with the yard and it's using the landscape as our platform, but still having that artistic freedom and that creativity uh, to both express ourselves and, you know, express our design aesthetics and kind of how we like to do things. Awesome. Yeah, I would say the number one question I get asked on uh, Instagram is, how do I do what you do? How do I get into the industry? Where do I start? And so I figured, what better way uh, to kind of kick off episode two of the Artist uh, podcast then, you know, just having an open conversation with you and I, because we come from two totally different backgrounds. I came from the, you know, literally working my way and just trial and error uh, and working my way to where I am and just figuring it out as I go in the professional world. And you come from the school route. You knew at a very early age that you wanted to go this route. Uh, your dad, I believe, is an architect, and you kind of got an early exposure to landscape architecture as like a career and even a, you know, just a school, like a, like a degree choice. That was something that I never had kind of exposed to me until a later date. And then, uh, but you were, um, you were able to um, figure that out and, and go the school route and the intern route and just kind of the right way. But really, there is no right way, right? Yeah, There's... I don't know that I would necessarily coin it as the term of the right way. Um, you are correct in some of the points there where, you know, I did know from an early age. You know, you could call me a unicorn in that aspect. Um, even with our profession and going the schooling route, a lot of the times people don't know this even exists until they're already in school. So a lot of my classmates started off in engineering or started off in, you know, astronomy or anything like that. After a year or two in that, they kind of found the profession and they opened up their eyes to it and decided that's what they wanted to do. Um, you know, like you mentioned, I learned about it through my dad. My dad's an engineer with the state of Illinois in the Mines and Minerals Division, and there's a couple LAs on staff that work with kind of land reclamation. So, you know, completely different aspect from what we do in our day-to-day, -day, but um, they still went the same schooling route that I did. And that's kind of what initially opened up my eyes to it and the possibilities of what could come with you know that type of degree and working with the landscape to build these awesome projects awesome um you know what would you say to somebody that you know i guess it really depends like everybody's situation is different are they a good student are they not like you know, what type, uh, you know, what point are you in your career? Like, I mean, it's never too late to get started in anything, but um, it, it's kind of one of those questions that we can open up. Like, 
what advice would you give to somebody if they wanted to get into this profession? How, what would you tell them? So, you know, with it, like you said, there's never a time that's too late to get into this. Um, I went to Iowa State, and one of the great things about the program that I went through and that got me to where I am is they taught you from literally the ground up. You didn't have to come in with artistic skills. You didn't have to come in being able to draw pretty pictures or do anything like that. You could decide, you know, you just turned 45 and you're just not happy with your life and you need to make a change. Doesn't matter. You can still get into this profession and you can still get started. Um, the biggest thing is making that decision and actually diving into it head first. Um, you know, just to be completely straightforward, I was never the best student. A lot of the different um, courses came to me very naturally and easy to where I just didn't put a lot of effort into them. But then there was other things where I truly had to try at um, to not only just better myself, but even just to pass through the class. So I don't think it takes being a good student or being a bad student. Um, it's kind of a unique niche to where it doesn't fit into the math and the science, and it doesn't necessarily fit into the literature and the history. So the traditional schooling route that you know you grow up going through with all of your classes, it doesn't matter if you're phenomenal in those. At the end of the day, it's dedication. It's having the drive and the desire to get into something and to start something and being willing to take any risks that may come with that. Um, and you know, some of the risks with that going the schooling route are extremely long hours. Um, I can't tell you how many countless nights that I either got two hours of sleep or I didn't sleep at all. I sat in my design studio and I worked on projects. I worked on art boards, I worked on plans, like, you know, just any aspect of that project, it kept me in the studio for hours on end. So at the end of the day, it's dedication. Do you have the drive to dedicate the time of your life to learning that route? But it's not the only route, you know? Um, it's gonna be costly on your time side of things, uh, but so is your route, you know? Going the school of hard knocks, if you will, it's not easy, it's not quick. You know, I wouldn't say that necessarily one is quicker than the other. They both come with their own battles. And since I didn't come from that school of hard knocks route or start just working and installing and being the technician side of things, um, you know, I can't speak to those as much. What I can speak to is that formal training and the hours it takes to put to that. So I'd love to hear from you kind of how the time side of things relates um, to like my background and how I got here. Well, I got a dumb question before we get into that. You know, let's say I want to take the school route and I don't, what, what degree do you even look at? So my degree is in landscape architecture and I've got a second one, environmental studies. The second one is just kind of a supplementary thing that builds on top of it. Um, but that's not the only degree. There are schools that offer landscape design and you can still get to where we are today and doing what we do with that landscape design degree. So you're looking for a landscape architecture degree, you're looking for a landscape design degree. Hell, even you can look for horticulture degrees and you can go that avenue. Um, you know, I've worked with plenty of people that had hort degrees, but still worked in our industry because they know plants inside and out, what it takes to grow them, what it takes for them to survive. So that's another great background to get you started and off on the right foot into working with the landscape and, you know, designing yards and creating spaces for people. What kind of classes come along with the landscape architecture degree that, that maybe when you're in the thick of it, it might have been overwhelming or you might be thinking 
what is this going to play into the real world? Is there any, are there any classes looking back now that you would say like, you know, like plant ID, like mm -hmm. I'm sure that might feel like a class where you're like, oh, am I really going to need to look, look at this branch, know what it is, the scientific name, its attributes, yada, yada, yada. Like, I don't know. Are, are, is, are there any classes you look back on going, man, I'm, you know, I'm really glad I have that. That really gives me the confidence to act as a professional and speak to clients with a depth of knowledge or anything like that. Yeah, you know, and before we get into that, we should just point out that the degree of landscape architecture in the world of landscape architecture is so vast and diverse. So it depends on the route that you go post-schooling. I've got a lot of friends and classmates that, you know, went the uh, quote-unquote white-collar route. They're sitting behind a desk, they're designing AutoCAD plans, and they're working for these large firms that are running commercial. CAD monkeys, you call them, right? CAD monkeys, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, with that, they're going to have a different perspective from looking back on the classes as to what was truly usable. Um, when I look back at my classes, one that was probably one of the most helpful is the plan ID. You know, I did two years of plan ID, and the way that class looked is we were out walking the landscape, out walking the college campus, and looking at plants, touching plants, feeling plants, and doing ID, not only during their bloom time of the summer, but we had this class throughout the winter. So you have to be able to tell from form and branching structure as well as even just the bud detail. Um, and that really taught me to know my plants. And it's very helpful for when you come into, say, a renovation where they've got some existing plants that may not be doing the best. Um, one, you have to be able to tell what that plant is to be able to diagnose what could be going on or what ways to amend that. Um, and so plant ID was huge for me. One that I feel like I wouldn't necessarily call it a waste of time but it was definitely um, a little bit more taxing and maybe less applicable to today. Um, and that was some of the studio classes. Some of those, the studios, you know, our design studios, we had one every single semester, every single year. It's a four and a half hour class, three days a week. So I'm meeting for one class, 12 hours a week, but that's not just 12 hours a week because that's the main class that kept me in the studio all night long till two in the morning till three in the morning what was it even about like what like it, it changed every year but that was kind of more the the design side of things it was the actual here is your uh conceptual project here is what you're designing here's the problem that you're solving but they were very heavily conceptualized and um based more so in theory and the reason I say that they're not as applicable is those classes in the theory basing are a little more applicable to the white collar world. Whereas I got a lot of my design fundamentals out of it and I still apply those to this day. But in the grand scheme of this is the problem, this is your project. I mean, we'd be looking at a 50 acre park sometimes yep. and, you know, managing and dealing with that and how you design that and keeping people in mind. Obviously, we don't touch on that. We don't do any sort of commercial. We really don't do any sort of municipal either. We do 99.9% uh, .9 residential. So well, completely different point, scale. Yeah, to your point, I, um, I brought on a couple of uh, interns fresh out of college. They graduated with their uh, landscape architecture degree, and, but they had, I was literally their first job uh, outside of schooling. And I thought because they graduated with the degree, I was going to be able to just kind of plug them right in and put them to work. And so 
I started, I wanted to see what they had, so I gave them kind of like a test uh, assignment. And that assignment was, I just gave them both a the same plot plan, something that I'd already drawn up, frankly. Um, and I gave them a list of client needs and wants from a patio, a water feature, a fire pit, and gardens, place for the kids to play. And I just wanted to see where they're at, what their capabilities were, what school even taught them. And they came back and, uh, oh, I, you know, I gave them specifics. I said, you know, this family likes to entertain themselves up to like maybe eight other guests. So, uh, you know, let's have a patio that can accommodate up to 10 people, have the other features I talked about and, you know, boom, just let them loose. I didn't want to give them any directions. I wanted to literally just see what, what kind of skills they were bringing to the table. And then what they came back with, one was like a 3,000 square foot patio. That's not small by any means. And mind you, it was like a 4,000 square foot backyard. And so three quarters of this backyard space was just this patio with an itty bitty fire pit and just some fountain that was like on the clear opposite side of the yard. There was no sense of spatial awareness. There was no sense of like envisioning yourself in that backyard, how the human interaction is gonna was going to be. I felt bad. Like... I had to sit down and have a really hard conversation. Just be like, I don't know what the hell they just taught you the last four years, but this is, I'm going to, we're going to have to start from scratch. Like you guys have absolutely no no, applicable applicable, skills. And so they showed me, well, this is our portfolio. And to your point, I'm guessing this is the studio work. They're showing me this stuff and it was just like abstract art. It didn't even look like landscaping to me. And, mm-hmm. and so I'm like, so at the point I was in, this was probably seven, eight years ago. So I was only 13 years into the industry. I was still knew how to design some decent backyards. But I'm looking at this. I'm like, what is even the benefit? Landscape architecture is a five-year degree. So, you know, you're having to go an extra year on top of the normal four-year, you know, degree. And so... At that point, I was, until I met you, honestly, like, <laughs> I was like, no. You just write them I'm off. Like, I'm like, <laughs> landscape architecture, fresh out of school, nope, next. I don't even, like, I would get resumes or applicants like that. I'm like, I don't even want to have a conversation because. Yeah, because you just got rubbed like, wrong from your past experience and you expected something different that I'm they like, didn't bring. Yeah, and I felt bad for them, too, because it's like, they just spent all this money going to school, five years of their time to literally learn what what was the point you know and then and then i meet you and you also outside of school you also did some internships you really did the work you really worked the school angle and used those channels that they had to get plugged in with some really good companies and get exposed to experience would you mind talking about kind of like what that looked like through your school journey and and how you like Let's say you are a student and you're listening to this podcast right now and how can you maximize that? Because I'm going to like, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say like in the next 10 years, you're going to be one of the, like a world renowned designer and you're already put yourself in that path. So if you've got somebody in school right now or looking to go in school, how could they maximize that opportunity to get real life skills? Because if you don't work it, I've seen the flip side of things. I've, I've now, now seen both. I've seen people come out of school 
with absolutely no experience, no real world skills, and absolutely worthless. Like that, like for me to have to pay them to then learn on top of it, it just didn't make sense for me as an employer. But then, you know, then I meet you. You only had a couple years of. Uh, when did you graduate? 2019. 20, so you've only been out of school for less than two years, or just about two years. Going on, th- yeah. So three years ago. Um, Three years ago in about a week, I so, graduated. Beginning of May 2019. You started with us here at Heiner two years ago, or last year. So you were yep. only two years outside of school. And I have a hard time believing that you learned. Well, it is possible. But in that two-year time period, you've come with a vast amount of knowledge to where I was able to help you with some of the scale, sales skills a little bit. but Because that's a whole other side of what that's it an, takes Yeah, that's, that's another beast. That's, that's another something I did not that we're going to have to talk about is... is if you want to do this, you're going to have to become a salesperson on top of just learning the, you know, how we do. And we can talk about, I think we should talk about that a little bit on this episode, but I think that's a whole, there's so much depth to just how to carry a conversation, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I'm getting, I digress. Let me get back on track here. The, I guess the question I want you to answer is, let's say you're going the school route. How, what would you recommend to somebody in school or about to go into school to get plugged in and come out with real life experience. Yeah, so I think the best way to answer that is to kind of um, take it back to when I was extremely little. And some of the driving factors that, you know, made me want to get into this profession as something that I wanted to pursue. Um, Because those reasons were what helped make the decisions along the way and what led me to this route versus what some of my friends are doing being CAD monkeys. And you know, it was a drive for being outside. Um, I had a love for being outside, no matter what it was, whether it was just hanging out in the backyard or going on a hike, you know, exploring, it didn't matter. I just, I wanted to be outside. So through the schooling process, um, in my particular program, I was required for a semester to take a semester away from the school. We had a couple options for that. We could study abroad, you know, go see the world, go take some bullshit, electives and uh, mainly just travel. That's what a lot of my friends did. Um, we Sounds could also, fun, but it also seems like it's, yeah. it's an, it could be a waste opportunity if you're actually trying to get ahead in your career. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, it's four to five months of fun, like you mentioned, but um, while it's building some sort of skill set, is it really building the skill set that you need for where you're headed? Um, I didn't think so, so I didn't choose that route. The other route is you go the internship route and the internship route for me was great when looking at an internship you know there's tons of options out there when it comes to landscape architecture i can sit behind a desk and learn how to continue drawing on cad which i'm already good at but that's not where i see myself and i really had to think back to what do i enjoy in life if this is going to be my career which is going to dictate you know a large majority of my time that i'm spending awake and not sleeping, I need to enjoy it. If I'm not happy at the end of the day, then why did I choose this to begin with? And when I really sat down and looked, it was the being outside factor. I wanted to be outside and I wanted to build the project. So I picked a design build firm, um, you know, very similar to the company that we operate here. And what that did for me was it allowed me. Where was that design firm? 
So that was up in Vail. Okay. Um, up in the Vail area. And I actually, after the internship, really enjoyed both the area um, and working on those style of projects. So that's where I went back and worked for a couple of years after graduation. Same company? Same company. Okay. Um, but, you know, it all started with the internship. Because obviously, if the internship didn't go well, I would have never came back. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with the internship, it was one where... I got to apply those skills that I had started to learn through school and work on a couple of designs, but really they stuck me in the field. So it's almost like my internship was um, the point that more lines up with your story and you know, getting my hands dirty, doing the work myself. At that point I was able to see how things get installed, how everything goes together, and I'm enjoying my time outside, I'm building awesome projects, and the most rewarding thing was seeing that design that I have thought up in my head put to paper and now I'm physically building it and seeing it come to life and what that final product is. So for me, it was kind of that whole process, but it was the internship I chose. It was going the design build route that allowed me to get my hands dirty and to learn the inner workings of everything. That was a huge foundation for me. It took the school skill set that was largely theoretical like you have seen but was able to apply it and as opposed to just all right let's take that school theory and stick you into that design role I worked on one design my entire internship it wasn't about designing they knew I had learned that they knew that I knew the fundamentals of it they were setting out to teach me a new set of skills to help me build my career and that was installation so I had already gone through four years of schooling and then it was almost like I got started back to um, you know day one of where you started shovel in hand sitting on a machine grading out the soil slinging boulders getting plants laid out and installed and you know doing all of the dirty work but that was honestly more valuable to me than the rest of the schooling I want you to say that again because I've met many students that have come through programs that think they're way above picking up a shovel and learning that stuff. Yeah, and I've come across it too many times um, as well. It's, it's a mentality that I wish didn't exist, but unfortunately it's more prevalent than not. Um, that's great, you can draw pictures, but you should never have a big head. Um, you know, one of the key things is always just to stay humble. And if you're not staying humble, how do you grow? If you think you're bigger than something and you're not willing to stoop down to something, you can never take another step forward. So for me, while initially, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to lie, I had the feeling at a time to where I was like, I, I'm better than this. I've paid all this money. I've been taught by some of the best. I, you know, I've, I've grinded my way out. I did this way. But then I just had to kind of step back and realize that it's not the case. They taught me a skill set. And now I'm learning another skill set that's not teachable through skill, or I'm sorry, through school. Um, and, you know, my advice to that is suck it up, put your ego aside, and pick up the fucking shovel. Because if you don't get your hands dirty and you don't know how something gets built, how do you design it? How do you estimate it? So if I'm taught how to draw As lines. As an employer, when I'm bringing on, like, I want to. You know, you get this degree and it shows that you're serious about the industry, but if you don't come with the right attitude and you don't come with the right skill set, which comes from a foundation of the stuff you're talking about, 
you're worthless to me. Mm-hmm. And that that paper that piece of paper is about as uh, valuable as you know as what it's worth, uh, what its weight is in gold to me. Because if you're coming with, especially if you're coming with that attitude, you're not going to make a good fit in my company or many of my friends' companies as well. Because that just goes against our core values and what it what it's about and what it's going to take to build beautiful landscapes. And so, I, I mean, I would say that's a common trait no matter which route you go, whether you go the schooling route or my route. Like, yeah, mine probably has a heavier emphasis on that, you know, field experience. But I think it's just as important if you're going the school route to get your hands dirty for a couple of summers and really learn how to work a grade, what it looks like to envision a space and see it all the way through and you know why certain retaining walls are built certain ways or tapered this way or that way or you know yeah just even bed lines and knowing how the irrigation goes in the ground and just knowing that head placement's going to go a certain way and plantings behave a certain way and the list goes on and just seeing that like a tree when you put it in and knowing that hey that's blocking a view i need to think of those things because you know, on paper, I might not be thinking about that, but now that I'm out here and I'm actually seeing it all come together, you can really start to put the pieces together on a whole nother level because you have a deeper understanding of how a project comes together. Yeah, there's a huge aspect to field design versus what you're taught through school. I've been taught through school that, well, I've never necessarily stepped foot on a site. Sure, there's a couple that I've stepped foot on, but it's not about the actual physical experience as it's more of kind of designing that pretty master plan from the aerial. But tell me, how many times do you see your landscape from an aerial point of view? Maybe if there's a deck and you're looking at it, but then it's not even a bird's eye. Exactly. It's just a perspective. Even then it's off kilter and it's not as drawn. So if I'm coming in with, this looks great from plan, that who cares yeah, I don't I don't care I'm what it looks like I'm always designing plan. with what it's going to look like I, I will sometimes sit there and I will look at my plan and I will close my eyes and I will just try and like feel it out and just pretend that I'm actually sitting in that space and just know that I need a tree over here I need some privacy over here and I will literally move my head as I'm looking around a space uh, that I'm designing as I'm going Yeah, and, you know, that's a big thing to it, but it's also um, proposing things that aren't feasible or buildable. At the end of the day, we're doing these projects for who? The customer. The The customer. Mm -hmm. The client, as I like to say. Yeah, the the client, the customer. There's the saying in retail of the customer's always right. We all know that that, that's that's not true. That's bullshit. But at the end of the day, it's not that the customer's right, it's that the customer's happy. And the customer pays your bills. So if they're not happy, if you don't, are they paying? You don't have a, if you don't have a customer, you don't have a job. Yeah, exactly. And if they're not happy at the end of the job, are they going to pay your bill? Well, and not to mention the, you know, most of our jobs come from referrals. So you're not going to grow your business either. If you're not fulfilling a need. Word of mouth is everything. And, you know, it's really important to think about it and the user experience and not the aerial from the plan. Mm -hmm. So getting your hands dirty 
and sucking up your ego, getting out there and doing the work, you get to learn what's actually feasible. So I'm not proposing something that like, oh, it, it looks great in my mind, man. Like this is going to be killer. How do you actually build it? What's the cost that comes with that? Can the client even afford that? Did you just design a $5,000 patio or did you design a $50,000 patio? Well, and building them and understanding why a certain why a certain patio or retaining wall costs more or less than others, you can actually have a much more intelligent conversation with the homeowner when you're actually designing these spaces because they're going to have questions. And if you have the same questions of why is this patio more or less than the other patio, you can explain it in detail or you can at least explain it in a way that they can understand that you because you have a much deeper knowledge of that. You didn't just watch a YouTube or anything. Mm -hmm. You've been through there, done that and be like, yeah, I had the same questions myself. This is what I found out, you know, and then explain why. It's, it's all trial by error. You know, it's something that we kind of touched on in our first episode. And um, you can't grow and you can't take the next step without taking one or two backwards. You're gonna fail. You're gonna fail time and time again. It comes back to the dedication thing. When you fail, are you gonna pick yourself up from the bootstraps and keep on trucking? Or are you gonna wallow in your pity and stay where you're at? You're never gonna grow if you wallow in your pity. You gotta pick yourself up. It's all about failing and taking that failure and learning from it into the next one. And sometimes it means taking that failure going back and making it right because I know there's been times where I've designed things that just straight up didn't work because I'm always pushing the boundaries in my designs and trying to come up with new and innovative things and sometimes it just doesn't work you know I, I, I try and put some of these pieces together but I either experience a washout or <laughs> hold on go ahead and silence that All right, go ahead and wash them. Sorry about that. That's all right. Uh, but there's some, there's certain times when I'm designing something experimental and it might not work out. And the customer is calling me saying, hey, this just failed. Yeah. And if you're going to do the right thing, you're going to have to go back and make it right. And there's no better way than to go back and make it right to really learn from that mistake and just go, oh, well, I'm not going to do that again. But you have to have the integrity and the, the grit to jump in and not give up and pick yourself back up and do the right thing, even if it doesn't, even if it costs you in your wallet. Yeah, or I your, mean, or your gross profit margin. At the end of the day, you installed it wrong. It's always great to try and it's always great to test the waters and, you know, push the boundaries because if we're not pushing the boundaries, we're going to be stuck in the same design aesthetic, designing the same things, and uh, we're going to be what we hate the most cookie cutter. If we don't push the boundaries and try to go the full custom and give everybody that unique experience, we fall back into that cookie cutter thing of, well, we know this works, so we're just, we're gonna do this. Yeah. And it's gonna take time and time again. It may be once, it may be five times, it could be easily 20 plus. The customer needs to be happy. Like you mentioned, a lot of our business is word of mouth, whether it's repeat from the same client or from the client's friend. I can't tell you how many times it is, oh, so-and-so told us that they did a project with you and they loved it. Um, just based off of that, we want to work with you. Mm -hmm. 
So you go back, you make it right, you take a hit on that one. But by taking that hit, you're learning, and you're taking it to the next one. It's all about growing. It's going to be you slow. you play the long game, too. Sometimes you yeah. have to lose the game so you can win the season. Right. And, you know, in terms of the long game, my long game was five years of school. And then it was two and a half, three years of in the field. Where at times I felt, yeah, I'm better than this. I, I've paid my money. I've paid my dues. Why am I, why am I doing this? And you're investing into your future projects. Exactly. And, and your career and the opportunities that you're going to get because you're able to design and do things that nobody else can or will. So uh, I think this is a good point to transition. Like, I think that's the school route. Mm -hmm. Like, I think we could talk about, like, I'd like to share kind of the things that I've done. Yes, I shared my story on the last episode, on episode one, but, and that's kind of how I got my start. But I think I'd like to talk a little bit more in depth of how I figured it out and how I'm doing the projects that we're doing now without getting you know, professional schooling or, or teaching or mentors or anything like that. And I think there's a lot of things that I do because most of it was very inexpensive or free. There's a, there's a book that I read early on and I think I, I tag it a lot in my Instagram stories or I share it a lot. And it's a, it's a textbook. It's like the, the fifth, sixth, or seventh edition of residential landscape design. I would start with that. It's, it's expensive. It's like $150 because it is a textbook. But that is residential landscape design gold. It really teaches you the process. It teaches you a lot about form and function of how a landscape can come together and how you can work off of the lines of the home to make the architecture translate into the garden space because at the end of the day the principles of architecture are all timeless it's really the finishes and sometimes some of the features that we get that are upgrade that will age a garden or make a garden look new and fresh and so but the principle the like the architecture principles are still pretty much the same as far as working off the lines of a home and that kind of stuff yeah i'd I'd like to rebuttal you there. Um, $150 is a lot, right, for anything. Can be. Can be. May not be. Doesn't matter, really, though. But it's, it's not cheaper about... cheaper than how much did you spend on school, on a five-year degree. Let's just not even add that one up. But, um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> moving past that, um, it's, it's not about the cost, right? It's about yeah. the value. Yep. And to me... While you're saying 150, and I'm thinking in terms of maybe what I've spent or what I've done, dude, that's dirt. Yeah, it's the value that it's brought, and I'm familiar with the book you're talking about. While it's not necessarily a textbook that I used through school, um, I have it. It's sitting on my desk. It's on my bookshelf even till today. You know, it's a great referencing tool that I've gone the schooling route, and I'm still opening textbooks for a quick reference. Um, we do so much that you're never going to retain everything. You're going to need that little assistance here and there. And that book is great for it, but it's the value that it brings getting you in the right direction. So while it may cost 150, to me that book's got a value of 100 grand. Yeah. Where is it going to take you? Yep. Well, outside of that book, I would also say a lot of the things that I do is when I'm driving neighborhoods, I am still to this day looking, analyzing, and breaking down a yard of what I like, what I don't like. Um, 
I'll look at the, the bed lines, the plants, you know, is that a good plant combination? I like to drive through older neighborhoods and see how some of these older landscapes have, have aged. Is it overgrown? Does it actually look good? How, and then I'll kind of figure out how long ago it was built just by looking at the tree sizes and that kind of thing. And, and I'll break it down and go, wow, that's got really nice layers in its plantings. That really worked well. And I'll just pick those things. I'll make mental notes and just go, all right, those are things that, those are the principles. Those are, that, that's the winning formula or combination that I want to make sure that I'm taking and putting into my draw, into my yards and my designs. Uh, and on the flip side, I'll look at things that that didn't work. That looks like shit. Like those are the things I want to avoid, but I'm always paying attention and I will just look at it from like a user standpoint or a drive by or a walker standpoint or a homeowner standpoint. And I just look at it from that point of view. So that way I'm looking at it with a fresh set of eyes from an unprofessional set of eyes even because mm -hmm. it's pretty easy to look at something and just go, that doesn't look good. That, that does look good. And maybe that's subjective, but I at least look at things that I like. You might look at something and go at the same yard and go, no, nah, that's garbage. Even though there's some good principles, you might, it might not be your taste. And I think as a designer, it's all about establishing your look anyways. You know, you, you want to build your own look and you want to identify your jobs and just kind of put your spin on things and you want to establish your brand of what you're known for. Like, I think I'm known for putting natural style water in a garden space and making it work in kind of like a more modern-ish twist. And I'm still trying to push those boundaries and marriage the, the native and natural style with more of the clean lines and uh, kind of more that modern aesthetic. And so I'm trying to create that hybrid and that's what I want my look to be. And, you know, there's other people out there in, in different parts of the country and world where they've got certain things where I can look... You can give me a lineup of pictures of some of my friends on Instagram. I'd be like, "Oh, that's a that's a that's a Jack Kelly design. Oh, that's a you know that's a uh, a Matt with uh, Matt Daly with uh, Water Earth Landscape Design. That's that's one of his projects. I can look at that just because they have a certain look and aesthetic. Um, and I, I hope that people can look at mine and just know, oh, that's a Heiner design." Um, as well and so I think it's important when if you want to get in and do what you're doing is to always pay attention always push the boundaries always just try and outdo yourself on the next one and then look at the look at the design that you did and break it down and figure out what you can do better it's a blessing and a curse because I've done my own yard and I live in it and rather than enjoying what it is sometimes I'll literally just stare at the rocks and look at the yard and just go Oh, shit, I should have done this different. Oh, I don't like how I put that rock down there. I should have spun it this way. Oh, that's garbage. I, like, I, I could literally rip up my yard and start over because there's certain things that bug me so much. And I think it's a trait well, that uh, drives me to just become the best that I can be. Yeah, and you know, you're right. You could rip up your yard. But what I'm going to tell you is rip it up, rebuild it, and you're still going to find shit. I will. It doesn't matter how many times you build it. You're always striving to be better, and you're always going to find those nuances. You don't know those nuances or how it could be done differently until it's done wrong. So, yeah, go ahead. Tear up your backyard. Drop a, you know, whatever you feel like yeah, spending no, you're right. on it. I, there's no way. I, I, Give it I a would month. find something new that I would want to change. But yeah. that's just kind of the nature of who I am and, and 
I think that's it's, why it's, it's put the drive me in, to succeed, though. Yeah, I think I think it's a natural trait to to get where I am. It, you know, so I, when when I get asked the question, how do you do what I do? I think it's it's less about the technical skills and more about the mindset than anything. You have to develop these this grit and this ability to just know that that's what I want to do and you just need to put your eyes and mind on it and literally just keep working towards it and not stop until you get where you want to be and then also realize that it's part of the journey really like you have to enjoy each of those steps because that really is what it is yeah and you know I think that brings it right back to uh kind of the opening point of to get started in this industry it's being dedicated and it's being driven there's going to be those hardships and those fallbacks and there's going to be those phenomenal times that just you feel like you're on cloud nine and you've had win after win after win well unfortunately there's going to be a loss at some point that comes and knocks you off your high horse and it's getting back from that you know, we're two perfect examples of two completely different routes, but at the end of the day, it's the mindset that's the same. It's the drive for, you know, success both for ourselves, but it's also seeing our product in the landscape and knowing that we have these products out there that people are enjoying and that they're long lasting and they're going to endure 15 plus years of use that they're timeless and that, you know, building that brand of a new thing that is the the natural, since we're located here in Colorado, obviously we've got a ton of native and natural terrain and it's kind of hard to get away from that, you know? You have to embrace your, if you try and go the opposite direction, it's just gonna look forced and you gotta, you gotta pick wherever you are and embrace the natural setting. Yeah, and then find the ways of infusing and implementing the style you know the touch work with the existing work with the surrounding landscape but what is that little flair that you can figure out how to get in there and until you try it you're never gonna know if it's possible and until you fail five times you're never gonna know how to build it properly because while there's tons of information out there at the end of the day, there's not information really on how to properly build this or build that. And if you're truly testing the waters and pushing the boundaries, nobody's done it before. So if you're the innovator, you have to fail. Yep. In order to innovate, you have to, you have to, fail. to fail time and time again. And it's how you deal with failure and how you continue moving. Well, nobody's going to applaud anything or anybody or any projects because if they're doing the same thing time and time again people want to see the new they want to see the fresh they want to be inspired and if you're going to just play the same notes you, you know put the same shrubs the same flowers the same paver the same everything and just do the same lines yeah you might build a brand that hey that's definitely a such and such job but um, you're never going to get nationally recognized you're never going to become one of the top designers out there unless you're literally trying to think of new combinations really fresh ideas testing out the new hot products staying on top of the trends on what's inside the house to put on the outside of the house figuring out you know what are these new vendors there's other people building new things that you can put in your designs 
and so you got to stay on top of the the new products as well that's that's part of all the all the key pieces of the recipe of becoming a top designer and how how to do what we do um, but let's say school isn't your route yeah what would you say to somebody that you know how how else would you say they can come in and do what they do obviously you've seen my route what other recommendations would you say that they could do where would they start would you recommend just going and buy a wheel, buying a wheelbarrow and a shovel and just going for it? Or would you say there's a different route? Because I've got an opinion on it. I'm just curious to see what uh, what you would say and, and, and advice. Yeah. Um, well, that's kind of a tricky question. Obviously, there's a lot of ways to approach it. Um, at the end of the day, you got to get your hands dirty. Whether you buy that wheelbarrow or you just find a company or a chuck in a truck and you be a right hand man it starts off with doing the hard work until you put the labor in and the manual hours you're not going to know if it's for you or not if you personally can't put that manual labor in and the time it takes to build the project how do you ask any one of your employees to do that for you if you're too good to move a shovel how do you run a company that is built on moving shovels? So no matter your route, get your hands dirty. In high school, I started out by helping my dad's friend who ran a very, very small, let's call him Chuck in a Truck, landscaping maintenance company with the additional planting jobs of sprucing up something. But it started off with maintenance, spring cleanups, mulching, you know, what we would consider today extremely light work. Mm -hmm. It's not light work though. And that's just the tip of the iceberg is get in and start to learn landscapes. By doing those little maintenance jobs and by doing the small jobs, you get to see how things go together. You remove the mulch, you get to see how the plants are planted. What the irrigation looks like. Is there irrigation? What's the edging look like? How is that transition from plant bed into turf, into patio? You know, by being on site and getting your fingers dirty, you get to see how everything comes together. You also get to see if you're cut out for it. And frankly, not everyone is. And that's fine. It's just not the route for you. But get your hands dirty any way that you can. From there, start out small and build up. Whether it's, you know volunteering or getting paid a minimum wage find the next step build up from there so it started out with maintenance jobs with my dad's friend then I volunteered for Habitat for Humanity for a year and I built two houses with them from the ground up digging foundation to final landscaping sticking plants in the ground while it didn't teach me as much landscape as it did just general worksite flow and multiple contractors on site and kind of the work order there was a lot to take from it. So I've done all of these little things that kind of led me into school and school taught me a lot, but at the end of the day, it's observing. You have to put yourself out there in any shape or form and you have to observe. You gotta be a sponge. Take in all the information that you can and when you come home at the end of the day, figure out how to apply it the next day to be better. If you're not watching, you're not learning. Mm -hmm. If you're constantly head down, you're not watching. So it's a combination. 
in kind of your earlier years, it's testing the waters. And to test the waters, you need to get your hands dirty and you need to watch. If you're not observant, I don't know what to tell you. I always live, I always, I've always lived by work to learn. You know, while you're working, pay attention. I've done the same things. Just kind of observing my surroundings and just literally figuring out like, why did they do it this way? Why do we do it that way? But I would definitely recommend, I think you're going to expedite it much faster. If you can't go to school, try and find a reputable company. Good landscaping companies are always looking for good people. And good people translates into somebody that's going to show up, someone with a good head on their shoulders that just wants to grow and learn and be productive and efficient. And if you've got all these qualities of just wanting to learn and work to learn, you're going to come in and just, and what that means to me is start at the bottom, pick up the shovel, push the wheelbarrows, just kind of observe, be a sponge, go home and realize, hey, we're working on this retaining wall. Go watch some YouTube videos on building retaining walls. So when you show up the next day, you might actually have some contributing ideas that might make you more efficient or build the wall better or whatever. Like, use the technology we have at our disposal to just be better and learn what you're doing. And then pay attention to the processes of the business and just why things go in a certain direct, a certain way. What, you know, and don't be afraid to challenge it as well. But learn on somebody else's dime if you can. Because if you're going to just go out there and try and do it without getting any kind of field experience... You can have the right attitude, but it's going to take a lot, a lot longer because you're going to make a lot more mistakes. But if you've got somebody that's been there and done that, you're going to be able to learn from their experience and expedite that career of yours much faster. Yeah, I mean, if I would just 100% recommend against going out for your first step. Now, I don't mean starting your own company is bad. For your first step, it is. You have to get experience through somebody else. I had 10 years of experience before I went out on my own to, you know, point in case. Yeah. Because I I knew that I, I had read Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That was one of his principles, was work to learn. And so I made sure that I was at those other companies and building that skill set so I could take it with me and I now apply them to what we do here and so that helped build a really strong foundation for my career to be able to do that yeah and I kind of want to get your take on something I want to give you a, a little scenario and see you know your thoughts or how you would approach it um, so let's say we don't have any field experience let's say I've got a thousand dollars to my name and I'm gonna go ahead and decide I'm starting a company we're gonna purchase some tools, we're gonna to spend that thousand dollars and we're gonna get going. How do you find jobs? How do you find jobs? Yeah, if it's if you just spent your thousand dollars and it's your first go at something and you know, you're just gonna dive in head first, you don't feel like learning from anybody, but you got the tools, you know how to install, how do you find clients? How would you find clients? I don't know that you can. What do you go to Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace? You know, I would, like I would probably start online. I would, if, if that were me, you're not going to get the big jobs first right. and foremost because people are going to want to do business. Let's put your let's put your 
self in the shoes of the homeowner first and foremost. You know, we're working on these big six-figure jobs, but even then, even our $20,000 jobs, that's a lot of money to our clients. Yeah. And that's a lot of money to me. And if I'm going to be spending that much on my home, I'm going to want to make sure I'm finding the best contractor that I'm going to trust that's going to give me a good value, but then is going to also do a, a good quality project. You know, and that's not to say that there's homeowners out there that is just going to go for the bottom dollar, but you're listening to this episode because you you asked me, how do you do what I do? And that's first and foremost, strive for excellence. And so I don't, I don't put shit in the ground. And so I'm not going to be the cheap guy. So, you know, if you're just going to go out and try and start finding jobs, you're going to have to understand that you're going to be doing the shit jobs, the unglamorous jobs. You're going to be doing the stuff that doesn't require any skill anyways, because the people with money are only going to be hiring simple jobs based off of price in the beginning because you're not bringing anything to the table except a strong back and as a couple of tools. Mm-hmm. And so you have to understand that first to begin with and just to realize that you're going to have to humble yourself even more and take whatever you can get and just learn on those jobs. It's going to be sod jobs. It's going to be mulching jobs. It's going to be like cutting back people's shrubs and just doing those kinds of things. I know a lot of people get into this business by just buying a lawnmower and cutting people's grass. And just by cutting people's grass, it's going to turn into, hey, Sam, you know, you did a great job. I was thinking about changing that mulch bed over there into rock. I'm just, I can never get that to grow any plants. And be like, okay, I can do that. And then it just starts with figuring out, all right, you're already there. You got the opportunity. So that's a route that some people go. I I don't cut grass. I never took that route. Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe because I'm allergic to grass to begin with. But, <laughs> but, um, that's besides the point. But there's a bunch of different ways to get your foot in the door. Nowadays, you've got all these Facebook groups. I would, If I was just starting out now, this is what I'd do. I would just go on and I would join every community group that made sense. Like for us in Colorado Springs, we have different groups called 411 for the 719 and there's others word of mouth Colorado Springs and there's gardeners of Colorado Springs and there's all these other like community groups there's neighborhood groups there's next door there's all kinds of apps and ways to connect online with your neighbors and community I would go on there and people are constantly asking does anybody have a good uh, a landscaper or know a good like just go in there and answer questions be a resource. Don't just go in there and shamelessly self-promote. You're going to have to learn basic networking skills. And a lot of that is be more interested than interesting. And what that means is ask more questions than just trying to be, hey, look at me. You know, I'm I'm a landscaper. No, just go in there. And if somebody's got a question, don't even promote yourself. Like I still do it to this day. I'm still part of those. And somebody was asking, hey, does anybody have a company that that specializes in planting 10 to 12 foot trees and I'm like yeah that's something that we could do it's not a job that we really want but I do know the best route to go and so I literally just chimed in and said hey you know landscaper here for 20 years here in town your best bet is to go to either uh, Harding Nursery or Hydrix Colorado Tree Farm and they have in-house planting crews that do nothing but plant their their trees day in and day out so I would go to one of those nurseries. You get to tag the tree that you want to come to your house and just get on their schedule for them to bring out those trees. Boom. Probably the most cost-effective way. 
I'm not getting any business out of that. But yeah. if you're active in that community, you're going to start to build momentum and people are going to start tagging you when other people are asking. Then the online community is going to start working for you because you're going to be known as the guy that knows all the landscaping answers. And so when if people start to learn what you do, they're going to want to tag you and share that in return. And there's going to be chances where people are going to say, hey, I need somebody that can come remulch my yard. Be like, I can help you out with that. And if you're active and being uh, and watching those threads, you can be, I can help you out with that. You know, you're going to have to just start out with giving those free estimates in the beginning because you have no reputation. You actually, you have absolutely nothing to go off of, but your time and effort. And so you're going to have to invest in that time and effort to start building that reputation and start getting that cash flow and start getting those first jobs and then just building on it for the long term. Yeah, so what I'm hearing you kind of say is it's it's about having a presence. It's about putting yourself out there and whether that turns back business immediately or it turns back business five years down the road, it's about having presence. And I think that you know also correlates to how you learn to get into this industry and being present on a job site and having the presence there to observe and to be that sponge if you don't put yourself in awkward situations and constantly put yourself out there to the point where you may be overbearing to the community or to some people at some point that it's like, oh, it's that guy's name again talking about a dirt question or something like that. Mm -hmm. You're always gonna have those negative Nancys that like, you know, they're not needed. They're not paying your bills. so. It doesn't matter. It's about putting yourself out there. You want and them getting, as a client, anyways. Right. So you don't. You don't want to work with them or don't, for don't them. Don't accommodate people that are never going to be paying your bills. So. Yeah. It, I mean, it's building a win-win. And if they're going to be, you know, negative or a pain to work with, is it worth your time? You know, I don't care if if I've got a hundred thousand dollar project with a client, but she's just a pita, taking a lot of my time. And then I've got these four $25,000 projects, but they're the ideal client. They give you that creative freedom. They're on board with it. They trust you and they just think what you do is kick ass. I will take those four clients any day of the week before I take the one client. Those four can take the same amount of work as that one, be the same amount of value as that one. But at the end of the day, am I stressed? Am I going home angry from a conversation that I may have had with a client? Or am I happy because they're letting me do what I love to do and what I'm good at? And I'm still collecting the same at the end of the day. It's the same amount of work, but it all comes down to who you work with. And by putting your presence out there, you're going to attract people. And I mean, here we are all about attracting and not chasing. Mm -hmm. um, I have so, no desire to, to waste your, my time chasing. To your point, too, I got one of my mentors once told me, I would rather make an easy buck twice than a hard two bucks once. So you basically, uh, that's paraphrasing exactly what yeah. you just said, is just finding the ideal clients that you're going to want to work with that are going to allow you to have that creative freedom and do work within your sweet spot. But in the beginning, you might not know what a PETA customer is and what a good customer is. You're going to have to work for them all until you can get that barometer. And so you're going to have to reflect back after a job and just go, 
holy cow, that Karen was terrible to work for. Like, how do I avoid this in the future? And I think, you know, that, that might lead us into another, an episode three is where, you know, how can you identify an ideal client? And so, but I think we've covered most of what we wanted to talk about today with how do you become a yardist? It's, to wrap it up, it's a journey. There's not one right way or wrong way to go about it. I think if anything, it's more mindset than anything. It's just making the decision that this is what you want to do and then you just start working towards it. And then eventually the pieces are going to fall into place. Yeah, you know, I think that we pretty clearly covered that there's a ton of different routes you can take. You can go my route, you can go your route, but these aren't even the only two routes. There's a bunch out there. At the end of the day, like you mentioned, it's mindset. It's having the drive and the determination. You know, one of the closing marks I would like to make for our listeners is that failure is not a single faceted thing. Failure is part of the process. Failure is both part of the process, but also multifaceted. And by that, I mean that you are going to fail on multiple fronts. You are going to fail on install. You're going to fail on design. You're going to fail on client relationships. You are going to fail, 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 and fail another time before anything good truly, truly happens. You're going to put a lot of turds out in the world before you've got a shiny throne. But it's the determination from the start no matter your route, that is going to get you to where, you know, we are sitting today and where we are enjoying the designs we do and we're able to maybe pick a client over another client or, you know, whatever it may be. It's the point of getting to that success or being happy with your career and having a fruitful work-life balance of I'm designing awesome projects, I'm building awesome projects, and I'm fucking proud of it. Love it. Well, I think that's it, guys. Uh, that's the show for today. Um, connect with us on Instagram. I'm uh, the Yardist, the underscore Yardist. And um, Sam, I mean, how, how do you want people to connect with you? You're more than welcome to connect with me on Instagram. I will say it's... Um, Compared to Matt's page, a little bit more of a personal page. I am putting a lot of my work out there, and, you know, the personal um, stuff is a little bit heavier right now. So um, on Instagram, Barkley14, and I just like to share a little bit of what I do outside of design as well as what I do with design because I think part of being, you know, um, transparent and getting clients is showing them your whole life. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't hide anything behind closed doors. So follow me on Instagram. You're going to see my dog. You're going to see skiing. You're going to see makes. You're going to see fails. Um, and you're going to see a lot of design. Cool. And uh, send us some DMs. We'd love to hear what you guys would like to hear us talk about. Um, and until next episode, we uh, appreciate you guys. Appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll see you on the next one. Have a good one. Thank you. Anybody want to go swimming in my belly button? Right. Wow. That was, that was exactly, that was an hour and one minute. So. Wow. Nice.